You know, investments matter. And when money's tight and people depend on you, they matter a little bit more. When I was four years old, my dad moved our family from Oregon to Montana so he could go to university. And shortly after we arrived, my baby sister was born. So my parents, they're young. My dad's in school. They have four kids, six, four, two, and a newborn. And as you can imagine, money was really, really tight. So when my dad went off and invested $800 without talking to my mom about it, the stakes were rather high. See, he had come across a little bit of information. His professor in college got him into trading cards, you know, sports, basketball, baseball, football cards of the various players. And there's this whole world of of collectibles and stuff like that. My dad got into that world and he discovered that this year, for some reason, there was a distribution problem in the industry. The new cards for the year had been printed, but none of the local card shops had been able to get them in stock. And my dad learned that a a distributor only a couple miles away from his house had them. And so he went and he bought two boxes of trading cards at $20 a piece, put them in his car, drove down the street to a company, walked in the door and showed them to the lady behind the counter and she was stunned. She's like, we don't have those in stock. I'll give you $30 for each of those boxes. And my dad thought, hey, I got a question for you. If I could get my hands on some more of these, how many would you buy? And she said, I will buy all that you have. All right. What would you guys have done in that situation? (laughs) Talk to your wife. Wise words. Well, it's a story. It happened too late to change it now. You know, a little bit of information. And we all face with the choice, do we act on it or not? Because we're always making investments all the time. You know, it's not just money. We invest our our energy. People put, you know, sweat and pain and toil into exercising their bodies in the hopes that present pain will lead towards longevity of health and happiness. You know, some of you guys have invested what seems like countless hours in education in the hopes that, you know, what you're suffering through right now will pay great dividends in the future with your pay or your ability to serve or help people. And then there's a couple people who put in not just money and not just pain and sweat and toil and not just years of their life, and they do all of it for this guy named Jesus of Nazareth and the hopes that God is true and keeps his promises. And there was a man named Paul who was such a guy. See, Paul had this useful little bit of knowledge, and that was that he had seen Jesus of Nazareth after he had been executed and buried alive again. And that knowledge changed his life. Like, what would we do with it? This morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, picking up. And Paul has just been telling the Corinthians about himself, about his travel plans, and about the ministry that God has given him. Paul sees that he's become a minister of a new covenant with God. And that everything that he's suffering, that he's going through, is all done for the Corinthians' sake. It's for their good, and it's for the good of others, and it's for the glory of God. See, Paul, Paul bet 
everything on Jesus. Like he put all his eggs in that basket and he crawled in himself after them. Like he has no other hope but Jesus Christ. And he's going to talk to us this morning from 2 Corinthians kind of about his mindset when it comes to Jesus. So let's read. It begins in verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. See, Paul has a useful bit of knowledge. Jesus was risen from the dead. And if God raised Jesus, then God is going to raise Paul and everyone else who belongs to Jesus. And because he knows that and because he believes it, he talks about it. And he doesn't stop talking about it, come what may. And he quotes Psalm 116. And we could go back there and we could look at the psalm, but it's making the same point that Paul's making. It's a psalm written by a guy who loves God and who is suffering really bad and whose life is being handed over to death. And the guy trusts that God can raise the dead. And so he says, I believe and I continue to speak. Just like Paul. And Paul says, all this is for your benefit, which reminds us that chapters 1 through 7 is one long discourse about a change in travel plans. And you thought you guys had rabbit trail problems. It's good, but we're learning a lot. So everything that Paul is, is going through, he's going through because of the Corinthian church. And he says, so that it's reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So the original plan was Paul was going to go straight to Corinth and meet them. And instead he changed and now he's going the northern route through Macedonia and he's visiting church after church, collecting money to help the saints in Jerusalem. And everywhere he goes, people are honored to participate in this gift and they well up with thanksgiving to God. So um, you can think about it like this. Have you guys ever walked into a town and you see this public art piece? And around the art piece, there's like cobblestones or bricks in the ground with people's names engraved on it. Like these are people who have made a sacrifice, sort of, but they have the privilege of being part of something for the good of everyone. And that's kind of what Paul's doing. He's going place to place and everyone's contributing to a gift and they're happy about it. And this gives God the glory. It's going to serve the needs of the saints. And this whole excursus is for the Corinthians good because Paul didn't want to visit them first. So that's what's going on. So in first three verses, we just see that God's promise of resurrection emboldens Paul to speak and to serve for the good of others and the glory of God. It was a useful bit of knowledge, and it might have been worth investing in. And so we believe and we therefore speak. And he continues, he says, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Life is not pleasant for Paul. He's going through his own personal year 2020. Like, it's not good. Things are hard. And just outwardly, it looks like he's dying all the time. But he says, but I'm being renewed by God's power within day by day. The, The best thought metaphor I've had for this is a fountain. The water's just kind of going everywhere, but it's always being renewed from the inside. I take my kids to the splash park and they just have fountains coming out of the ground. 
And it seems like little kids' favorite thing is to squash the fountain. Like, let's kill it! And they just stomp on it as hard as they possibly can, and the water sprays out everywhere. And then, you know, to their chagrin, the moment they let their foot off, the water just comes back. Like, you just can't stop a fountain. That's kind of what Paul's going through. He says, outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, by God's power, we're being day by day. And I need to be careful about my, my motions there. And Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Everything is going through light and momentary trouble. Which is saying something, because back in chapter 1, he says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Eh, it wasn't that bad. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Oh, just, just a, a passing inconvenience. In just a few verses before, he says, we are afflicted in every way. We are perplexed and persecuted, struck down, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, being given over to death. Who is this guy that says, it's light and momentary afflictions? Small troubles that achieve for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Like, we were so burdened, we despaired of life itself, but, but the weight that we will one day carry is so much greater that it, we don't even think about it. We don't even think about it. Because we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Not on this present life, because you look around, everything you see is temporary. You look at, you know, the colors of the walls in this room, in 20 years they will be hideous. Because our tastes will have changed. You know, my, our, our hair will grow out. Some of it might fall out. It might fade out. I don't know. You know, these knees, if I keep running, will probably not last me another 20 years. I'm not sure. You know, the buildings that surround us, like everything that we see is temporary. So Paul's not talking about like what is real and what is not real. He's just what is seen and what is unseen. Things that are more real are to come. The greater reality lies ahead of us. And so if we're going to summarize these three, we just say that though Paul encounters hardships right now, it's God's power that sustains him as he looks ahead to what God is making happen. We might say that that Paul is keeping his eyes fixed firmly forward on the future for those of you who like alliteration. Like it, it's an investment, and we all do it all the time. He's not unique in this fact. We all show up to work with the hope that come Friday or next Friday, our paycheck is going to come our way. Like we do fix our eyes on what is currently unseen. We all do this. Paul just has a little bit longer view in mind. And he continues, he says, for we know that if this earthly tent, this physical body we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. He's talking about the resurrected body. Go see 1 Corinthians chapter 15, about something that's permanent, that's built. It comes from God. It's not from this earth. It's sustainable. It's everlasting, and it's not going to fade or fail. But in the meantime, we groan because things may not be so great around here. Some of us are groaning more than others. We're longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we're clothed, we will not be found 
naked. We don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be humiliated. We don't want to be put to shame. And we're not looking to get rid of something. We're looking to add something spectacular, to add something of significant worth. Because while we're in this tent, we groan and we're burdened. Because we don't want to wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. We're looking to put something on. And the one who fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who's given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Like Paul, his outwardly, like his body is wasting away. He's got bruises. He's got, you know, scars. I, I don't know how much trauma this guy has from everything he went through, but it's pretty significant. And yet he says, this is a light and momentary trouble. And yes, outwardly, I look like death itself sometimes. But inwardly, by the power of God, I am being renewed day by day. And what assures me of it is God's spirit within me. The presence of God's spirit among his people is the evidence, the knowledge that Paul needs to believe in a future. And it's an amazing thing to see. My wife's Nana is 95 years old, and she loves Jesus, and she cannot wait to meet him, and she understands this present groaning. She just, she's really excited. She found out she had cancer a couple years ago, and she's like, you know, you could treat it with chemotherapy and all of these, like, complications, and she says, what if I don't? And they're like, well, eventually the cancer will take over your body, and you're going to fall asleep and not wake up, and she's like, count me in. Like, that sounds great. And so far, she's lived like two years past when they expected, and she's doing just fine. <laughs> you know, COVID, she's not worried. She might get to go be with Jesus. Things are looking pretty good. Again, this world and its temporary ways are not what she's looking forward to. And it's the evidence, the knowledge, this useful bit of information about God's Spirit within her that makes all the difference in the world. So for Paul, the Holy Spirit assures him that one day God's going to give believers resurrected bodies because the current ones just aren't working too good. And so we believe and we speak. We do not lose heart. We fix our eyes on the unseen. These are some of the we statements that Paul is making throughout this passage. And he continues in verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident. We know, there's that word again. We know that as as long as we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. And he's not saying that as long as we're in this body, we don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's just we're not home yet. Like, this is not what we're looking forward to. We want to be with Jesus. And we are confident, I say, and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so we make it our aim, our goal, to please Him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. I don't know that Paul really has in mind what happens to a believer after they die before the resurrection and what we kind of refer to as the intermediate state. I don't know that's really his point I think in general, we could just say like, all right, here's my two cents on the matter. When we die, our spirit goes to be with the Lord, and then one day Jesus is going to come back, and we will be given resurrected bodies, and that's how that goes. But I don't think that's his real plan is to get into that. I think what he's talking about is just present life and future life, like kind of like a a couple, like pre-marriage and marriage, and then maybe there's an awkward thing called engagement where things get really complicated, but we're not We're not talking about that. Just life now, life to come. And we would rather be here. 
with Jesus forever. But whether we're here or we're here, our goal is to please God. That's our aim. That's our everything. That is the thing for which we are striving because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul knows. He just believes that we will answer for every word that we've spoken, every deed that we've done, every thought that we've thunk before Jesus. Like we will all be judged. And so it's his confidence and God's power within him and God's promise of the future and the resurrection and of the judgment that's to come that moves Paul to want to please God in all things. And so we'd say for us, like we just summarize everything that we've read this morning, and it's wordy, but bear with me for a second, that confidence in God's power and promise and judgment helps us to endure suffering and gives us courage to speak and to serve for the good of others and the glory of God. Now, that's wordy, it's helpful, but maybe we could say it this way, that we ought to know enough to believe. We ought to be confident enough to speak. We might have hope enough to endure. And so let's be confident and keep our eyes fixed firmly forward because eternity is worth investing in. You know, awesome. Awesome. Grab this back here. I stole another preacher. It was a good idea then, and I think it's a good idea now. This little string here. Just. Out the back door, onto Burnside, loops the globe three times, and heads for the Andromeda galaxy. Like, it just lasts forever. That's, that's eternity. In this little section with all of its frayed bits, this is first, third, investing in order to And then they're done. And then you answer to Jesus for everything. He's not being dumb. He just has the longer investment game. In then no matter between here and like here, the light and momentary affliction. Like, no matter how bad this gets, this, this just far outweighs it all. If you have a bit of knowledge, if Jesus Christ acts Lord of the everyone one day will answer for what they have decided about Jesus Christ forever, then then what kind of, what decision would you make? What would we do with that bit of knowledge? Because, you know, my dad walked in from that day of dear mother that he had spent $800 on cards. I don't know how long he let her sit on that. 
or how big her eyes managed to get. But then, you know, he counted out $100 on the counter and the relationship survived. Like, what, what could we invest now? Awarded and judged for good. Judgment seat for, for eternity. But here's a question. What would it take for us to have that same spirit of faith despite suffering? To, to even in the midst of hardship, to believe, to know something and therefore to keep speaking about it, to not grow discouraged, not lose heart, to be able to firmly fix our eyes on what is unseen, to be confident that in all things we might make it our aim to please God. How do we get there? You know, Paul, he saw the risen Jesus. I, I just imagine that's probably not something you're likely to forget. <laughs> like, I mean, go read the book of Acts. He tells the story a couple times. It seems like it was a rather significant moment in the life of Paul. Like, he knew this. He knew this. But do we? Like, how do we know something? You know, kindergarten-level philosophy here. There's two types of knowledge. Theoretical, knowledge about something, and experiential, like actually knowing something. I know about people getting sick from the coronavirus, not yet know anyone personally who has actually been tested and got it. I know about people like Ted Wheeler and, and Donald Trump and, you know, famous celebrities, but I Where do we stand? I talked to someone recently from you know, loosely associated with our church, and he just said, where are you with Jesus? And he's like, you know, to be honest, I, I don't really know. And I said, what do you need? Like, what do you need to get to the place where you know? One way or the other. I think for some of us, we need to know more about God, perhaps. Maybe we, do, I mean, maybe just go read your Bible. Maybe that's the best place to start for all of us. But maybe for some of us, we actually need we need to read like a Christian apologist. We need someone to talk us through the philosophical underpinnings of the arguments of how can we know if there's a God or not? Can we? Does that make sense in light of the education systems of today that says it's intellectual you know, suicide to believe in an almighty God that created heaven and earth? Do we actually believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Or was it like a wish fulfillment from the disciples, was Jesus just murdered and buried in a shallow grave and his body was eaten by dogs? Was the body stolen? Was this a conspiracy theory? You know, those are most of the main arguments out there. Like, what happened to Jesus? But if he actually risen, rose from the dead, that might be a useful bit of knowledge that would be worth taking action on. What do we need to get there? So some of us need to know about God. Some of us need to know more about Jesus. But others of us just might need to know Jesus, to experience God. Because for Paul, he says, that's how we know. That's the, the guarantee. That's the down payment, is that God's Spirit is within each one of us.
Thank you, Eric. All right. For those of you in the other room and those of you online, I have no idea how long you've, you've gone without it. So may God bless you with understanding, and we're going to keep going. Number one sign of God's spirit within somebody is a changed life. Because, he's, you know, the prophet Ezekiel spoke about the time when God would write his laws on people's hearts. He would put his spirit within them so that we might finally desire to do the right things that we've always should have done. Like, that's the number one thing. And then it goes beyond it. Like, you want to you wanna know Christ and the power of his resurrection. You want to experience conviction of sins like, you know, Paul, he went out and, and God performed signs and wonders and miracles through him. And so the danger with wanting to know God is, is wanting to, to do a trick and then wanting to see that trick repeated over and over. Like some of us, we encounter God and we want, we want another sign and we want another sign and we want another sign. It's not how God works. We need to know that he's with us. And, and I think for most of us, most of you guys have actually had a time where you have encountered God. You've encountered something that you're like, this, nothing in the material universe that I know of explains what I've experienced. Like, that is good knowledge. That knowledge paired with knowledge about God. Like, knowing that there's historical truth to the reality of Jesus' resurrection. Like, these things actually happened. They were not done in a corner. It's not just wish fulfillment on your part. Like your experience paired with what you know from history leads you like ultimately to say, I believe or I don't believe. But if we believe, if we actually rely and trust on it, then do we talk about it? Do we speak about it? Do we engage suffering with this in mind? You know, what do we do when we encounter suffering? Do we make it our aim to please God? Because we, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Like all of us one day will answer to Jesus, to someone who has gone through something far worse than any of us will ever go through, who was abandoned by his friends, who was murdered by his enemies, who was exposed to public shame and ridicule and buried, all for something he didn't do for our sake. Like Jesus is someone who has suffered preeminently for the human race. And despite it all and through it all, he did it for the glory of God and for the good of others. He didn't stop moving. He didn't stop serving God. He kept at it. And so what will we do? You know, what excuse will we have before him when we encounter sufferings, however hard they may be? Did we quit following him? Did we stop trying to seek after God's glory or did we keep moving? I think for us, when we encounter suffering, we need to make that choice to just keep going. I, li I like the Frozen song, like the next right thing. Maybe we don't know like how to get beyond this, but we can make one step in the right direction now. And that's all that we know. We can, can choose to keep trusting and relying on God. And when we see other people suffering, we should acknowledge it. Because the Corinthians, they weren't suffering. Life was good for that church, but it was Paul who was suffering for them. It was, and that was actually one of the reasons that they were accusing him. That was something they were putting him down for. Paul, look at your life. This is not, this is not what you should be about. 
And Paul's writing and saying, no, I'm doing this all for your good. Like when we see other people suffer, we should acknowledge it when they're doing it for the good of other people. When I see like Ray and Tamara and everything that they've gone through health-wise in the last couple of years and how they've continued to serve, it's like, oh, thank you for that. You know, I, I look at my wife and what she's been going through just physically, relationally. Some of you guys know her story and I'll leave her to tell it to you. But what she's going through is being done for my sake and for the sake of my family, for the sake of other people. Like she is suffering so that others might be blessed and so that she might glorify God. You know, what, what will it take for us to, to know and then to speak? Because if we know, are we acting like it? Are we continuing to make that investment again and again, knowing that we will be judged for the deeds done in this body? Like some of us need to arrive and some of us have arrived. We need to go now and go and be Jesus to our family and our friends, our neighbors and our coworkers. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, if eternity is a thing, it might be worth investing in. So I pray that we would know enough to believe and that we would be confident enough to speak and that we would have hope enough to endure. So may we be confident, guys, and keep our eyes fixed firmly forward because eternity is worth investing in. Let's pray. Gracious Father, for all that you've done for us in Jesus Christ, for the life that we've, we've found in him, for the presence of your spirit among us, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you that you don't give up on us because God, we fail, and we fall uh, so often. You're more patient, Lord, than, than anyone we've ever met. Lord, but I pray that you would help us to understand the truth of who you are, of Jesus Christ, and the life that he lived, and that through growing in our love for Jesus, we would grow in our ability to love like Jesus, that we would learn to pursue you, to aim to please you in all things, to do good for others, Lord, despite the circumstances. Lord, would you um, grace your people with an understanding that, that the amount of blessing that you have laid up in store for us is so great that, that everything that we're going through is just not even worth comparing. Lord, for those who are suffering, I pray that they might just sit down and think, like, how good would life have to get before I would count what I'm presently going through to be nothing or less than nothing. But Father, we can't do this without your help. We need, we need your spirit to move in our hearts again. And we ask that you would teach us to, to pray and to praise and to persevere, come what may, because you're good and you've raised Jesus from the dead and one day you're going to raise us too. So Father, let it be our aim to please you in all things, both now and for eternity. Amen.